Well, on Christmas Day and 1914 and Ypres, Belgium, something truly heavenly happened. After being entrenched in a violent and bloody battle and having reached a strategic stalemate, German and British soldiers laid down their arms to celebrate Christmas Day. But the even more astounding than just the temporary ceasefire between these two enemies was the fact that they ended up celebrating Christmas Day not separately, but together. Soldiers from either side went into no man's land to greet one another, to exchange souvenirs, and to even have joint burial services. In the middle of war, they decorated their tents and trenches and sang carols, and some of them even played soccer together. For Christmas time in 1914, there was heavenly peace on this blood-soaked earth. Now this is the kind of thing that we look forward to in Advent. This is the kind of thing that we hope for. This is the kind of peace that we desire. These are the things we need, after all. It's the things that these soldiers needed. It's the things that all the human race needs. And all of it was made possible when two millennia ago a little brown-skinned Jewish baby was born on a cold night and laid in a feeding trough. This very ordinary child, from our perspective, was actually Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, who we just sang about, was born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. And Him and Him alone is true and lasting peace. See, we all know how history panned out. The truce of Christmas Day on 1914 gave way to a long and bloody and violent war. And even today, over a hundred years later, we look around at our land and our world and we don't see peace anywhere. But Jesus, not just a human baby, but God in the flesh, God with us, will make our strivings to cease. Now that's why we're going through the book of Ruth during Advent. Because like Naomi and Ruth, we find ourselves in the cold and dark part of life. Their spouses are dead. They have no children. And to top it off, they are poor women coming back from a foreign land. For Ruth, entering into a foreign land in the middle of a famine. Their situation seems despairing. Their future seems like death. And yet, when it seems as God is the furthest away from them that He has ever been, and while life is nothing but violence, God is in their very midst working to bring about peace. So let's look at Ruth chapter 2 this morning, what we just read. Now last week, Naomi changed her name to Mara. Naomi means sweet, but Mara means bitter because life had become bitter for her. She saw God as if He were at war with her. But in chapter 2, verse 1, we read something interesting. Seemingly apropos of nothing. That she is actually related to a prominent man in Bethlehem. A noble man of, of worthy character, one named Boaz. And this Boaz has everything in life that Naomi desperately needs. Wealth, 
status, character, and most importantly, kinship. But there's a complication. Because Boaz is from a very different world. He runs in a very different social class than Naomi, who is poor. And even more so in the case of Ruth, who's not only poor and widowed, but to top it all off is a foreign pagan, a Moabitess, the Scriptures say. Nevertheless, Ruth wants to go out to glean, to support Naomi and herself. But even this is a risk. Since Ruth will go out by herself, a stranger in strange lands, and a stranger to the people that she's going to, And although God's law, like in Leviticus 19, would demand that someone like Ruth, who was poor and widowed and even a foreigner, be allowed to glean sheaves, that is, collect the excess, the leftover that was left behind, she has no guarantee that she won't be harassed or harmed. Remember, these are the days of the judges. It's the Wild West. It's a violent time in Israel's history. But she simply acts in love for her mother-in-law and an otherworldly faith that we can't describe. But amazingly, we see that God is guiding her, even unbeknownst to her, to exactly where she is supposed to go. Because we read, it just so happens, it just so happens that she comes to a part of the field that belongs to Naomi's kin, the kin of her dead husband, Elimelech. And Ruth just happens to stumble into Boaz's section of the field. Now let me give you a, a, this is a little insider tip here. When you read all throughout this wonderful book of Ruth, when you read things like something just happens or just so happened, a little irony is going on there. Because from Ruth's perspective, from Naomi's perspective, and even Boaz's perspective, things are just happening. But you better believe that God in His infinite wisdom and abundant mercy is directing it all with a loving hand. What seems to us like human coincidence, just fat chance, is actually the providential guidance of a good and gracious God. Now in the next verses, Boaz comes to his own field with a blessing on the harvesters. The Lord be with you. That's probably unique in this day and age when they're wanting to worship and bow down to all sorts of idols around them, the fact that He comes in the name of the Lord is something interesting, I think. And it just so happens that He notices Ruth, a stranger in this small community of Bethlehem. And so He asks about her. He, he, he pulls one of the overseers of the harvesters aside and, and asks, who is this? And this person explains Ruth's story. But interestingly, Ruth is not named here. We just get from him an explanation along the lines of, uh, she's a Moabite, and she's here. She's asked to be here, and this Moabite is here. And I I think what we're supposed to get from his tone of voice is that he views her primarily as a foreigner, as a stranger, as an outsider. That is, not somebody a part of their community. Not somebody that should be easily trusted. Not somebody that we should put our confidence in, which I think makes this next part all the more exceptional because Boaz truly looks on her with favor as she prayed for in in the 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 first verses of this chapter that she might go find favor and he looks on her with favor 
Boaz insists that she gleans in his field. And more than that, that she gleans from with what the young women gather. And even more than that, that she drinks from what the young men draw, the water. See, Boaz treats Ruth not as a foreigner, not as an outsider, but he treats her like one of his very own. It's no wonder that she breaks down in verse 10 with tears of joy and amazement and asks, why would he be so kind? Surely there must be some strings attached to this offer. But Boaz in verse 11 tells her what he's learned about her. Now whether he's learned it through Bethlehem gossip or through this, what the overseer has said, we're not really sure. The text doesn't go there. But what we do know is that rather than being standoffish with Ruth because she's not from his people, he's all the more impressed with her. In other words, when she is a foreigner and she has no reason to be there, she is still looking out for her mother-in-law. He discovers that she's one that chose to, to cling to Naomi, to stay in Bethlehem and to adhere to the laws of Yahweh, the Lord of Israel, even over and against her own Moabite family and the people of Moab and even the gods of Moab. In fact, this is not only all the more reason not just to tolerate her presence, but to honor it and reward her because Ruth is a woman of exceptional, otherworldly, heavenly faith. Now, Christians, we live in a very divided time, don't we? It's very easy for us and our fallen and sinful human nature to demonize people from different political backgrounds, from different ethnic tribes, from different tax brackets, or any other way we want to look at somebody else as different. But Christian, I want to remind you, in the Holy Scriptures, we find a God who takes pity on the stranger and the outsider. Our Lord is one who brings peace between peoples of the earth. See, in fact, we listen to the words of Jesus in the final judgment in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 34. He tells them this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from me for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. I was an outsider, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger, as an outsider, as a foreigner and take you in? When did we see you without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. And the eyes of Jesus, church, even how we welcome the stranger and foreigner and outsider shows how we would welcome the Lord Jesus Himself. 
an indication of our faith in Him as how we love and greet the person that doesn't belong to the community. Doesn't belong to the community. How could we ever dare reject those for whom the Lord Jesus loves and died for? How could we have the audacity to ever do that? And in this season, as well as in all seasons, Christian, don't deprive yourself of the joy of Boaz. Don't deprive yourself of the righteousness of Jesus, of being kind and generous and compassionate to others, especially those that are strangers and foreigners in your midst. God takes joy and our love and goodness to the outsider. So may we take joy in it as well. Lest we forget, we were strangers, far off from our God, but He drew near to us first. And now we draw near to those that don't have a place to belong. Those that feel like their accent or their country of origin or their messy family background means that they can't be loved by the Lord Jesus. We'll show them just how wrong they are by coming to them in the name of Jesus and His grace and mercy, just like He came for us. It reminds me of that wonderful old Christmas carol, Good King Wenceslas. Good King Wenceslas, look down. On the Feast of Stephen. I'm not going to sing it. I'm bashful. That I even did that was a surprise to me. But you know, you've heard this song. The lyrics are kind of stunning. This is a true story about a, a, a Christian king in Eastern Europe. A real person existed. And the story goes that he left his palace on the day after Christmas to feed a poor man in dire need. And we hear Bing Crosby croon out in his 1946 classic holiday album. Therefore, Christian men, be sure, the song goes, wealth and rank possessing, ye who now will bless the poor, shall yourselves find blessing. What a wonderful thing to contemplate this time of year. When we were outsiders, far off from the Lord Jesus, He blessed us. So we in turn, good Christian people, go and bless others. Let's get back to our passage this morning. Now Boaz ends his reply to Ruth with another blessing and another prayer. In verse 12, he says, May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. You see, this is the most important protection that Ruth could ever get. Not from Boaz, although what a wonderful thing. Young men don't touch her. Young women look after her. Servants, give her something to drink. Servants, give her something to eat. That's wonderful protection. But he says she came under the wings, the wings of peace of the Lord. She's not simply under Boaz's wing, she's under the Lord's wing. The God who loves the least of these and brings peace to His own people. And Ruth's response in verse 13 is just that. Pure peace. She takes comfort and encouragement 
and the kindness of Boaz. Because although she does not belong to him, he treats her like one of his own. Now we know exactly, as people that have read the story, have heard it before, we know what this is foreshadowing. What this is anticipating. Because although Ruth is not yet his family, one day she'll be his wife. And for us, dear Christians, although it is not Christmas Day yet, it's about to be. And for us, dear Christians, although the Lord has not returned in glory yet, He's going to, before you know it. Ruth gleans all day long until she has collected a little less than a bushel of barley grain. That's 26 quarts. She lugs this massive haul around. She lugs this home, even with some leftovers that she had from her lunch with Boaz, where she ate and was satisfied, and there were leftovers. Reminds you of this feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes a meager meal and multiplies it for the crowd, and there's even some leftover. Everyone was satisfied and there's still enough grace and provision left over. So she takes this leftover lunch and this huge haul of food home from from the field of Boaz, the Lord of of Bethlehem, it seems. And suddenly her sad and embittered mother-in-law who barely spoke to her as she went out the door in the dark of morning now comes alive with questions. You can almost hear Naomi, her energy, her fervency. Ruth, where did did you go? Who did you glean with? And before Ruth can even get an answer out, uh, Naomi says, may the Lord be praised for the man that noticed you. Naomi's utterly stunned by what she finds. Maybe she thought Ruth would come back with a handful of something that they could try to stretch out for the next few days. And here, there's enough food for them to last for months. She let Ruth go, not knowing if she'd even make it back okay. And yet, not only is Ruth back safe and sound, she's back with a treasure trove of provisions. This is an utter miracle in Naomi's eyes. This is what we might say is a pre-Christmas miracle. And Ruth identifies her benefactor in verse 19. His name is Boaz. And now if Naomi was surprised before, she is utterly floored at this statement. And she not only blesses this man, but instead of blaming God like she did in chapter 1, she blesses him too. Because the kindness of Boaz reveals to Naomi a greater kindness of the Lord is at work. The God who she thought opposed her was the God that was making a new future for her. And through the humane action of Boaz, by the sovereign decree of God, Ruth and Naomi are saved from starvation. And the most amazing fact of all is that Boaz is not just a nice guy in the community. He's a close relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. In other words, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. The family redeemer. 
Now, I, I'm sure we've heard this term in our Bible studies before. Kinsman redeemer, some translations say. Family redeemer, others. But let's get a refresher on what this is. That's a very different culture. In ancient Near Eastern cultures, we recognize some things about the way they do what they do and why they do it, but they're different than us in a lot of ways. So in ancient Israel and surrounding ancient cultures, there was a social safety net for women without husbands and sons where a single man in the family could marry an eligible widow of his brother or cousin or, or so on, and he could marry her and have children with her and give her land and resources and children to grow up to support her. In other words, she could go from having nothing in the future to having a shot at a stable and steady life. And Boaz was qualified to rescue Naomi and Ruth from starvation and homelessness and even death because he was eligible to marry someone like Ruth, giving her children and providing for her and her mother-in-law, who is Boaz, maybe distant relative. In this way, Boaz could do his family duty his cultural duty, by redeeming them back from death to life, from despair to hope, from strife to peace. Now Ruth is thrilled by this news because she goes on to tell Naomi, not only was he nice to me, not only is he related, but in fact he is a good and kind and compassionate man. He kept her close to his people and kept her safe from violence. Folks, remember, this is in the time of the judges. And if we were to read the book of Judges right before this, especially those concluding chapters, our hair would stand on our neck. It's a violent time, a debaucherous time. It's an idolatrous time. And so there is no guarantee that when Ruth goes out to glean that she won't be assaulted that she won't be attacked. But Ruth has fallen under the wings of Boaz for protection because she's fallen under the wings of the Lord first. She and her mother-in-law can now live peacefully. And in fact, we read in the closing verses of the chapter, that's what they do. Not only through the barley harvest, but the wheat harvest, they live peacefully. Now folks, one of the things we do this time of year the best, I think, as Christians is we come together and we fellowship and we feast. And maybe for a few minutes we can live peacefully together. And one of the things that we are promised to do in the future with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the new heavens and new earth is to fellowship and feast together at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So how wonderful it is this moment, this morning when, and we see this remarkable scene where Ruth, when she first meets Boaz, ends up breaking bread with him. Dipping it into the cup and having peace. Reminds me of this table that we're about to come to. Here was Ruth, a foreigner, who now eats joyfully and satisfyingly and peacefully a meal with one of the rulers of Bethlehem. And friends, the great peace that we'll know 
is when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who came down from His infinite majesty of heaven into the dark despair of our world so that we who were foreigners to God because of sin might be drawn near through the grace we received in Jesus Christ. That's what this meal is all about. His broken body. His shed blood. So that sinners could become saints. So that foreigners could become family. The peace of this Advent Sunday that we've celebrated this morning, that peace is because God looked at us like Boaz did at Ruth. But while she was great of faith and was a remarkable woman, so often we are not. We're faithless. We're nasty. We're hypocritical. We're mean-spirited. We're backslidden. Nevertheless, through the manger, cross, empty tomb, and royal throne of Jesus Christ, we can come to this supper table now in sweet and heavenly peace. Let's pray. Lord, help us now to trust in Jesus, our family Redeemer and our Prince of Peace. May we give You honor and praise through the testimonies we are about to hear and the table that we are about to partake in. For it's in Christ's name and His name alone do we now pray. Amen.